Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's Issues Program. I'm Phil the Issues Guy, here to talk about all the silly news and goofy stuff in the media and in video games that's going on this week. Oh, my goodness me. It hasn't been that crazy of a week for me. Usually I come in here at the beginning of a show and have some silly, ridiculous story about my week, about something ridiculous that happened, like a dog bit me or, or a cat scratched my face or I had something shoved in my butt. Usually I do. I have some sort of story like that. Hey, Phil, why don't you have a story like that this week? Sorry, Charles Hunneman from Sons of Anarchy, whose accent just keeps coming out in every episode. I... I, you replaced Miles as my, uh, as my co-engineer here. But I don't know why I don't have much to speak about this week. What is interesting is where I'm doing my show right now, uh, I'm looking out windows. And we'll put on the camera on me for those watching the video stream. Yeah, the Cookie Monster hat. And where I'm looking straight forward, where you see my eyes are right now, I'm looking outside at a building right across the alleyway from where I am. And there are two men out there working on the building, painting the roof or sodding the roof and doing all that stuff. And right now I'm looking at one of them scratching their testicles and the other one's playing a 3DS. And as I, if I can look close enough, the other guy's playing a 3DS and he's not just playing any game on the 3DS, he's playing one of the new Pokemon games. And this week, yes, Pokemon are back. Gotta catch them all. But did they really go anywhere? And I've just been thinking, what in the hell is it about Pokemon that keep them just as popular? And not just that, they, they're popular with kids, obviously, and that perpetuates every generation that kids get reintroduced to a new generation of Pokemon, and they love them. But what connects this also to the older people? And it keeps them interested. It's just a big circle of interestedness. Interest? Interest in that? Well, it's a big circle of something. It's a big circle of shit. That being said, I'm going out later today and getting my Pokemon X and or Y. Because I need it. And I guess that does connect to the animals thing I was talking about the last couple of weeks with the cats and the dogs and all that stuff. People want to raise animals and have ownership over their characters and battle other people. And it's just a formula that works. And again, it's another one of these things from Nintendo, a franchise from Nintendo. It's easy to overlook the fact that Pokemon are a Nintendo thing. And they sold 2 million units in like a day. I might be messing up the statistics to a small extent, but it's something ridiculous like that. And there was this big, big article I was reading about about how Grand Theft Auto has sold so much, but if you look at complete franchises, it hasn't sold quite as much as, say, Mario or Pokemon. And maybe that's because there's been more titles on those individual games, but they keep selling out. So what is it about these games? What is it about the Nintendo franchises that keep us coming back? Is it the kiddiness and that it connects to our youth, so we play with them we play with them as children, and then we continuously play with them through our whole entire lives? Is that what keeps Nintendo characters makes us love Nintendo characters so much? Is that what makes me love this guy Link so much? No. I don't think it's that. Because as a child, I did play I did play video games a lot, and I played the Nintendo Entertainment System. And Sega Genesis and all things like that, but video game characters, the characters themselves didn't start to really mean something to me in the sense of the way Nintendo characters mean, mean something to me now until Smash Brothers came out. And I was already an adult when that happened. And then Nintendo characters just grew on me in the sense of the same way when I watch a television series over a long period of time. And I love the characters on Deep Space Nine. I love the characters on, on uh, I was going to say Growing Pains of the Sopranos. But I was like, hey, wait, I don't like Mike Seaver or I don't like any of those Sopranos guys. But you know what I'm saying. You, you get an affinity for the characters. I don't really love Bowser, too, as a person. I don't like the stuff he does or Ganondorf or Ganon, the stuff that he's done. But I enjoyed. the them and I think they're good characters. But but what is it about them? What was that transition? Another argument against the fact that they they make uh, an important mark in your childhood and it just gets carried through would be that there are a lot of people that were adults when the Nintendo systems came out initially when the NES first came over here. And those people still like Nintendo characters to this day. You know, they're older... <laughs> They're older people these days, or they're in their they're in their golden years, 
as I will be approaching one day, sooner than I'd like, I will be approaching that day. And when I do approach that day, I will still enjoy, I'll be, if, if I can survive to when, when I, when I want to survive to, which is about 238 years old, if I can be 238 years old in 237 years old in 11 months and be playing whatever the new Mario game is, Mario, well, can't be Galaxy, Adam Mario, where Mario goes inside cellular structure as a whole and has to defeat Bowser, who stole the princess, who has the the secret to the space-time continuum. Continuum? <laughs> I don't know! But I will be playing those games. So what is it about these characters? It, I mean, it's the same thing... Oh. We have someone that says the reason why they love Nintendo characters is because they feel like the Nintendo characters have true personalities. That is, that's kind of the point I was about to try to make, but you did it much better than I did, so I'll shut up. No, I'm not going to shut up. I can't shut up. It's my damn show. I can't shut up. Oh, yeah, it's my show. And this show that you're listening to right now is called The Issues Program. And if you want to call or text in any thoughts that you have Whenever you're listening to this, whether you happen to be listening to the live stream, watching the YouTube video, or listening to this on the website, issuesprogram.com, wherever you're listening to this stuff, or if you're downloading it onto your little phone or your iPod and checking it out for later, (laughs) put it in your lunch pail box. You can call that number 781-990-8509 or text it. You can also email theissuesguy at gmail.com. If you have Skype right now, you can call me on Skype at I Got Issues Man or tweet me at I Got Issues Man. And yeah, I feel like I'm taking a breath after everything I say. Oh God, yeah, I gotta take a breath. <laughs> but what is it about these Nintendo characters? My friends and I, who are all, you know, not, we're not old men, but we're not youngins either, Mm. are getting together for a video game night. We talked about this a little bit last week on my show. And we're getting together and bringing back local gaming, bringing back getting into a room and all the fun. It's kind of like fun, but with friends. Fun with friends is fun. Having all the fun that we had playing the Nintendo 64. So where we, I I happen to have a working 64 and some games and some working controllers. So we've been replaying Mario Kart and, and, but our mainstay game that we keep going back to is Smash Brothers. And we want to be able to play modern games too. We, We played a little bit of Grand Theft Auto the other night as well. But really when it comes down to it, you just want to keep playing the Smash Brothers. We could sit there and play Smash Brothers all evening and come at it from the different personalities of all the Nintendo characters. And it just keeps getting better and better at each release. We're stuck in Nintendo 64 because that's the one that a lot of my friends that don't own newer systems or kind of stopped at that age, uh, that's the system that they're most, most familiar with. But when Smash for the Wii U comes out, that gaming night's just going to switch to the Wii U, uh, Wii U version of it. But I feel like Melee was even a greater... A greater improvement, a greater game than 64 because it did everything 64 did and then added all these options and more characters. Yeah, a lot of clones, but really, I think Melee is the, is the, you look in the dictionary of what Smash Brothers is, that's, that's the one. That's the, that's the peak. I think Brawl, I enjoyed Brawl, but I never quite. Liked the timing, like the universe, like the way everything felt in Brawl. It seemed to me that I didn't like Smash Balls or whatever those, the, the final smashes, and I know they're going to re- be returned. Mm. But that was always something I took out. I felt like you maneuvered a little bit differently. I kind of hope that they, and this is just my own selfish thing because I'm a Link player, as you can see. I hope they bring back a little bit more of how Link feels in Smash 64. He had a little bit more of a lead boot feel, but his sword and his shield and his boomerang and stuff worked worked a lot worked a lot better and caused a lot more harm to people. His uh, boomerang in melee is just a joke. Uh, Young Link kind of retained the boomerang from Smash 64, and that's what I don't like about the Young Link, the Toon Link thing, is that you take Link and you split him in half. And you take some of what's great about him and you have to split him into two different characters. It's not like Young Link is a clone in the sense of 
like Falco to Fox. And I mean, and he does have a similar move set, and I guess he is a clone to that extent, but he also has completely different powered moves and different uh different powered moves. His bombs work differently, his his uh his boomerangs work differently. His bow and arrow works a lot differently in the last two games. But for whatever reason, I didn't quite like Brawl in the same way I liked the first two. I did like the addition of some of the characters. I did like Sonic. I did like Snake. Sonic is back with the addition of Mega Man for this new game as well. So I'm curious to see if Snake will be back. I hope he is. I do hope they bring back a couple of the older Pokemon that were taken out, or older, or the one I'm talking about. I guess I was a Mewtwo fan, so I'm hoping for Mewtwo to make a return to the game, but I'm not hopeful. <laughs> I'm not hopeful for that Mewtwo return, but we will, we will see. And I brought up Smash Brothers through Pokemon, and Pokemon's coming out, or it has come out, on the 3DS, and the 3DS is rising in popularity, and more and more people are buying it, so so check it out. I'm going to be checking it out and playing it more, writing a review for it, and all that wonderfulness. So we'll, we will see about that, and we'll see what I think about the transition of the Pokemon, uh, the Pokemon games into more of a 3D environment type game, and a game that includes all the Pokemon ever created at this point, as I burp. I felt like I've been holding my breath because I've been holding a burp in for a while. It 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 was difficult. And I'm trying to fit in some breaths to like Oh yeah. Excuse me. Um I'm really excited to talk to you guys. <laughs> okay. And also coming out soon will be the Batman Arkham City game. I'm quite excited for that. Or it's not Arkham City, Arkham Origins. I know it is some changes. Rocksteady Studios didn't work in this game, but they were using basically the similar model as was used in Arkham City. So I am excited about the prospects of what this game is going to feel like. I'm excited about playing another game on my Wii U uh, in between while I'm waiting for a Nintendo title. So, so we will see about that. That's also a game I will make sure to pick up rather soon and be able to play and tell you guys a little bit about what my thoughts on it. So... Why not? I've I've wasted enough time introducing myself and talking about how I had nothing to say this week. Nothing specific to say this week. <laughs> so let's get right into it. Let's get into what I want to talk about stories-wise this week. And uh, first off, we had the picture of Zelda up there because Nintendo has dis- discussed... Every couple of years, you get a story like this. Nintendo has discussed an interactive Zelda movie. Sarah Producer... The series producer says he would only be interested in a big screen adaptation of the RPG series if it allowed viewers to interact with their 3DSs in a theater. If Nintendo ever releases The Legend of Zelda movie, it would not be a traditional passive experience, but rather an interactive one, according to series producer. This is something that me and Mr. Miyamoto talked about. He told, if we were to make a Zelda movie, if we had an interest in doing that, I think really what would be most important to us is to be able to play with the format of the movie to make it more interactive. Like you'd be able to take your 3DS into the theater and that leads you into participating in the movie somehow. We wouldn't want to make it the same as any other movies. We'd want to change what a movie is. Now, Disney tried something similar earlier this year with The Little Mermaid second screen live in theaters. Viewers could download an app to bring with their iPad and bring with them to the theaters to interact with the celebrated movie to play games and sing songs. It was revealed earlier this year that Astro Boy, uh, a studio pitched Nintendo on a Legend of Zelda uh, oh, the studio Imagi Studios pitched Nintendo in a Legend of Zelda movie around 2007. I think I remembered hearing about this around that time. The new Legend of Zelda game is in November, coming out in November, Legend of Zelda Link Between Two Worlds for the 3DS. And it's an all-new Zelda from a top-down perspective using a similar engine as A Link to the Past. But it is a completely new game. And also, there will be an all-new Wii U Legend of Zelda title in development, which is considered the biggest title in Nintendo's history. So how do I feel about this stuff? How do I feel about a possible Zelda movie? I'll feel the same way that I said about it years ago. I don't think video games transition well to movies. There hasn't been that 
one movie. We've had shows about this where we've discussed this, and I've discussed this on other podcasts, trying to figure out video game movies that were actually good movies. I'm sure there's one out there I'm not thinking about, but for the most part, they're all failures. So I respect Nintendo in the sense of what they want to try to do. They say if they're going to try to do a game like that, I mean a movie like that, it needs to be... It needs to be something different. It needs to be an interactive game of some sorts. I don't see how they're going to implement that exactly rather than making it something stupid like downloading extra stuff to play while you play while you're watching the narrative pan out. If somehow they can make it choose your own adventure where the theater's hooked up with uh, multiple different endings or paths the game could go and depending on what the audience picks in the theater of what they want to do that gets depicted on the screen. That could be really cool. I wouldn't mind seeing something like that. But as in, I see what they're saying, a straight Legend of Zelda movie would never work. It, first of all, you have a character that doesn't speak in the games. So whoever they cast as, as Link, no matter what they do, someone would hate its, vo- hate it, hate its voice, hate his voice. And that's not something they could deal with. The other thing is what kind of market do you, who do you market that Zelda movie to? If it's you market it just to kids, I don't think it would sell out just for kids. I think you would need to market it as an adult picture. Hmm. Legend of Zelda series, what keeps Legend of Zelda games selling out aren't just kids. That's what Nintendo, I think, finally is seeming to understand with putting out a game like this, like The Legend of Zelda Link Between Two Worlds. You're not putting that out so new people can experience 2D environments for the first time with Zelda. Or not the first time, but for the first time in a while. You're doing that for all the people that loved Link to the Past and said Link to the Past was such a great game and Majora's, Ma- I'm Majora's Mask, Ocarina of Time was an amazing game and it was great how it transitioned Zelda into this 3D world. But why forget about that series? Why forget about the series that brought you to this point, which is in the 2D uh, look down perspective? Which a lot of people think that is the on- that is the only true Zelda. The only true Zelda is <laughs> is this. <laughs> that is the only true Zelda. Oh, I don't want to see this. They just did- someone Spaceballs just put out a, a space Spaceballs characters then and now. I mean, first of all, Joan Rivers probably looks a lot like Dot Matrix now if they just size them up next to each other. Well, Mel Brooks looks pretty much the same. Hmm. Let's see. Rick Moranis looks pretty much the same. You can Bill Bill Pullman looks generally the same. Uh, Princess Oh no, Princess Vespa, bye. Oh no, 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 no. Dick Van Patten, you're you're haven't seen better days. Michael Winslow. Oh, I'd love to see Michael Winslow stand up. Wow, they got like a really good picture of Joan Rivers. And they show okay, no picture of See, this is where my mind goes to horrible places. Like, I'm an evil son of a bitch. I'm, like, figuring that they're going to put John Candy in a graveyard or something. Ooh, that's bad. I really miss John Candy. I know I know it's been so long, but he's probably the celebrity more than anybody else that that's passed, or at least an actor that's passed, that I miss, that I would love to see still working today. I don't know. I, I just... I think John Candy would have done even more amazing things in the later part of his life if he had, uh, if he had, if he, if he was still with us. If he was still with us. <laughs> okay, I talked about too much death last week. Let's move on to more important stupid things. Now, 3DS, as I mentioned, 3DS people are growing and growing. And Nintendo, I love you, but it seems like. In some cases, you guys have made a lot of promises your butt couldn't cash. Hula, and when the, the 3DS came out, it was, oh, it's going to have Netflix, it's going to have Hula Plus. It, it did not have Netflix. <laughs> it did not have Hula Plus. The Netflix update was pretty soon on. You didn't have to wait too, far, too long for Netflix. But now, finally, finally, two years later, Hulu Plus is now available on the Nintendo 3DS after a long delay of nearly two years. Back in 2011, Nintendo said that the app would be ready to go by the end of that calendar year, while Hulu made its way to the Wii around that time and Wii U. 
eventually, support for the 3DS remained absent. The new app is now available in the Nintendo eShop and supports all memberships of the 3DS lineups and handhelds, including the new 2DS. Although with other Hulu apps, it requires a subscription to Hulu Plus in order to stream anything. While the 3DS certainly isn't what most people jump to think of when they think of a media streaming device, Netflix has been able to be on the system for nearly two years now, and it provides another, albeit tiny, screen to watch TV and movies on. I find I use it when I'm more on the go, when I'm somewhere else. And I'm just like, oh, okay, I don't open my computer, so let me just open my 3DS and watch Netflix. It does drain batteries pretty, pretty heavy duty, but it's, it's not, it's not that bad if you turn the screen, screen down. And I do, I watch it. So there you go. Hula Plus is on there as well. Grand Theft Auto, everyone's talking about Grand Theft Auto, but the original creator of the original Grand Theft Auto, Michael Daly, is rebuilding the first game in a 3D form. Now, uh, Daly is working on a 3D remake of GTA using the Game Maker's studio package. The remake allegedly runs at 60 frames per second. The original Grand Theft Auto contained three-dimensional map, uh, which were viewed from a top-down perspective, making the ready built for uh, making them ready built for 3D driving. The remake will render the game using a new engine. Daly has posted uh, progress screenshots on his Twitter account. According to the article, there are no current plans to implement gameplay into the map or release the project to the public. What? Michael Daly is currently the head of uh, development in Yo-Yo Games, the company who produces Game Maker Studios. The tool services the game creation system for content for creators without extensive programming knowledge. Grand Theft Auto was released in 1997 to a positive reception. The most recent entry to the series, Grand Theft Auto V, which some of you might have heard of, launched in September this year and went on to break Guinness Books of World Records, including including a record for the fastest entertainment property to gross a billion bucks. And a lot of other uh, Guinness Book of World Records, too, that I could could get on, but I'm more curious about this game. And why are you reporting on it if it's never going to come to the public? That's some bullshit. I don't... I want it to come to the public. Uh, I guess this is probably one of those things that they're just b- trying to build hype for it, and it will come to the public at some point. At least I'm hoping so. Mother shit better do that. <laughs> okay, guys. Why didn't South Park make it to air on Wednesday night? I did notice this. I tuned in on Wednesday night to watch a new episode of South Park, and I didn't get that. Since South Park started 13 years ago, creators Trey Parker and Matt Stone... Oh, no, Mr. B. Whoop, there we go. <laughs> uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone have delivered their episodes of Comedy Central in the nick of time. They always do things at the last minute. But the pair have blown a deadline for the first time. Comedy Central says South Park Studios lost power for three hours on Tuesday, leading to a missed deadline. From animation to rendering to editing and sound, all of their computers were down for hours, and they were unable to finish the episode 1704 Goth Kids 3 Dawn of the Posers in time for the air tonight. The network reported uh, reported Wednesday night after this happened. Wednesday night was the first time in the history to show that they failed to air a planned episode because of a missed deadline. It sucks to miss an air date, but... After all these years in tempting fate by delivering the show at the last minute, I guess it was bound to happen, Parker said in the statement. Comedy Central instead aired a classic episode of Scott Tennerman Must Die. Now, a lot of people, I was reading online, a lot of people are using this as an excuse to bash uh, Trey Trey and Matt and just be like, oh, see, this is what happens when you're lazy, good for nothing, the C, C, C. They've put out nothing but quality content. I mean, I might not think every episode is funny for my taste, but someone loves it. And it's quality and, and made really well. In, in the midst of their universe. I, I don't really care. I mean, I think, I think it sucks because I wanted to watch a new episode, but you, ha- you have to deal with stuff like that. The... They have a power outage. The animators can't work. It's still an animation show that you need to record so much. There's only so much you can do without having the power. You can't do anything without the power. Yeah, maybe they should have backup generators, and s- but whatever. Did, d- maybe this is just bullshit. Could it be bullshit? Could they just be 
they got they just couldn't complete the episode in time, so they so they had to make up a story. They they cut their own power. I wouldn't doubt it. These fuckers, these evil guys, these South Park losers with their friggin' entertainment. How the fuck do they how do they live with themselves doing this to us? Now, those were some of the some of the stories I was reading. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but I mean, what do you want? Come on. They like to do things by the seat of their pants so they can give you a product that is very current. So they can make references and make scenes or ideas or even episodes right on the fly about current events that pop up. That's unlike any broadcast television show that isn't isn't a, a talk show. No other show I've, I can think of, Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live is, in the, is another one, I guess. But it's sketch comedy and it's little, seg, little segments. And I guess you could say, you could argue that South Park, in a sense, was sketch comedy. It, it, it is an ongoing narrative, but it's a different thing every week. And it's, it's one sketch over a 30-minute period of time, whatever they decide to do that week. So I'll give Saturday Night Live credit for, for consistently doing that as well. So Saturday Night Live and South Park are probably the two, seri- two series in the history of television that have been able to do this. And some could argue that Saturday Night Live is, is brought on, is broadcast in the way that a talk show like Late Night with David Letterman or or Conan, or Jimmy Fallon, or or The Daily Show, or The Colbert Report, in the same way that those shows are produced. So South Park actually writes storylines, a, sto- a story structure, a sitcom, an animated sitcom. And to put current events in an animated sitcom is something completely unique. So this is the price you have to pay. This is... This is flying too close to the sun or whatever you want to say. That you have to you can't you can't get away from having to run into run into situations like this occasionally after what is it again? 13 years? Wow, South Park's been on for 13 years. I wonder how long a show like South Park will go on. Because it must be enormous pressure, especially for Trey Parker. I'm not demeaning the efforts that Matt Stone makes on the show. But I know Trey tends to write most of the episodes or at least be in there in the writer's room with the other people spitfiring the ideas. Matt has transitioned, transitioned himself to be more of a producer and dealing with a lot more of the business end of things. Not that he doesn't have his creative input as well, but it seems that especially in modern day South Park that it's more... Trey is, in a lot of ways, the creative guy, and Matt handles the business because Trey has no patience for that shit. I mean, I'm sure I I don't understand the subtleties of their work relationship exactly, but from a general standpoint, that's how things work. So you got to think, after a while, they're not going to want to do this anymore. Not because they're not going to want to do things together, but having had the success with the Book of Mormon... And having had success in the past doing films, I know they never they say they never want to do a film again. But maybe they want to do more stage shows. I mean, that's where they come from, essentially, if you look at Cannibal, where Trey comes from, anyways, is that the musical theater, musical comedy. And, and you could you look at the South Park movie, and you could look at South Park as a whole with how much music is littered throughout that. So... So I give them a pass on this, and and hopefully it won't happen again. If it happens again, very very recently we might we might be able to call bullshit on them here. <laughs> we might be able to revisit this and call some serious bullshit. Mm. But I don't think it will. I mean, what I do hope it doesn't happen is that I hope Comedy Central doesn't get dickish and make them. And require more from them in the sense of having to have story plans ahead of time. Be like, oh, this can't happen again. We this is see, this is why we've been telling you boys you need to give us season plans ahead of time. And you should just, you know, record create a whole season and put it in the can and then we can get back to it. I think that is the kind of situation where Matt and Trey might be like, fuck this, I'm out. <laughs> so speaking of other things that fuck this. <laughs> 
the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has unveiled this list of the 2014 nominees. Now, only one band makes, its, makes the list in its first year of eligibility, but here's the full list. Nominees have been unveiled for the inductions of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2014, and uh, among the, uh, and the only band was grunge rockers Nirvana. Nirvana. No, excuse me. Nirvana made Nirvana, Nirvana made this year's list in its first year of eligibility. Among the other artists making the list this time around, our first-time nominee, Linda Ronstead, Peter Gabriel, Hall and Oates, and Yes. Also on the ballot were returning favorites from last year's, such as uh, Chick, Deep Purple, The Meters, along with hip-hop luminaries NWA, LL Cool J. The, re- the story adds... It's a diverse field, one that will likely see fan support swell behind acts such as Kiss and Nirvana and spark debate over the inclusion of Chick and Holland Oates, which may not seem like textbook examples of rock artists, said Joel Persman, president of the CEO of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Now, this year's nominees represent a broad definition of rock and roll, which includes a array of artists whose fans deeply take passionate about the possibility of the induction. Uh, an artist or band becomes eligible for the nomination 25 years after their first recorded single. Okay. Okay. Okay, let's get into this. Now, this is going to piss me off a little bit. Now, we talked about this a little bit a couple weeks ago about Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductions. It's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I am a huge motherfucking hip-hop fan. I love hip-hop. Hip-hop needs its own Hall of Fame. And I understand if you were converting, in a sense, saying Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is really the Music Hall of Fame. You know, the Music Hall of Fame. Uh, And if you want to say that, if you want to relax to that belief, I am all for that. Take it. Call it the Music Hall of Fame. Make references to that. Make references in your little speech that you gave there, which says, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, We understand. We understand that fans might have problems with some people being, uh, being having more of a broader definition of rock and roll, like Linda Ronstead and Holland Oates. But we we want to let you know that that they are rock and roll in a sense, because everyone's a little rock and roll. I I think that's how I read that correctly. Let, let me read that again. <laughs> I want to read that again. The report says all uh. And it's a diverse field, one that will likely see fan support swell behind beloved acts such as Kiss and Nirvana, and will spark debates over the inclusion of Chick and Holland Oates, who may not seem like textbook example of rock artists. Okay. Textbook examples of rock artists. So you're trying to explain to me that somewhere along the line they are rock artists. Same with NWA and LL Cool J. They're rock artists. Because they sample rock music? Is that what you're going to argue, argue with me? No. I'm sorry, that doesn't make them a rock band. Now you're not, now you're, instead of just saying that, they could have said that same exact line that I said, except at the bottom of there going, but we've, op- but in recent years or over time, I think it's obvious that we're not just inducting rock and roll artists, that this, this Hall of Fame is an appreciation of, of not pop, but popular music as a whole that may in some ways be influenced by rock and roll. If they had said something like that, I can I can again almost try to get behind this rock and roll hall of fame. But no, they can't say shit like that because it's bullshit. They want to try to rationalize it and over intellectualize it. And be like, this is rock and roll. It's like wh- this is movie Fear of the Black Hat. It's all about. It's kind of a spoof on on Spinal Tap and and a spoof on gangster rap or NWA. There. <laughs> There ends with hat. <laughs> but anyways, check out the movie. But one of the funny things about the movie is making fun of artists, whether it be hip hop artists or any artists who, that are write, that are songwriters, and trying to over intellectualize their process. Actors do this too when you hear them in interviews. Oh, the working with the director, he truly brings out the emotional connection of the blah blah blah. You know how many percentage of the people are actually like that? One. How many it's it's like that talk. It's again, it's like in Bull Durham when 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 uh, Kevin Costner's saying to Nuke Lelouch over there, Crash is saying to Nuke. You you have to work on your stupid bullshit you say to the media. 
And it's the same thing here. And in the NWH movie, it was like, oh, when we're talking about a song called Booty Juice, what we're really talking about is we're talking about the society that's dripped down emotional oneness of the man that's dripping through the cracks of the ass to pick up all the intangibles to equate society's grip on the common man. It's called my love booty, you know, love juice booty. It's this over-intellectualization that pisses me off. Yeah, when I was working with this director, the emotional connection I had with him was really, really quite incredible. And we had this connection on set that really organized some sort of magic that's never been seen before. This was Megan Fox talking about working on Transformers. I mean, come on! And there's another reference right there to Kiss, the b- a band that has oh, m- more commercial success than a lot of people, and is a straight rock band that's been kicked out of there every year for acts like Linda Ronstead or things that aren't rock and roll. If you want to call yourselves a rock and roll hall of fame, I know some people that might be listening to this, the rock and roll hall of fame is bullshit. It's as bullshit as award shows. Why pay mind to it? Because it's all over the place when it happens. And I understand. I understand. You want to try to get more people to watch your show (laughs) or care about it so you put in artists from different genres. But I just think maybe then the guys that own that Hall of Fame should just open up a Hall of Fame for every style of music so that these people can be honored in the style of music that they were trying to get across, not freaking rock and roll, which is a specific sort of thing. That's just my belief. I'm just a little pissed off about this shit. <laughs> I gotta read something that's gonna make me happier. I'm gonna skip a story and... <laughs> no, 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 I'll read this story. And I'll just keep the picture of the zombie... Zombies up there right now. Hate, 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 hate. Yeah, I'm not... I'm not hateful. I'm not hateful at all right now. Now, zombie te- TV drama thought dead and buried has become undead. Now, because of the ridiculous popularity of zombies these days, a zombie TV drama that was once made into a pilot and then killed without being picked up has been resurrected. Long before the AMC smash hit The Walking Dead, the 2007 CBS uh, century, 20th Century Fox pilot called Babylon Fields, not to be confused with Babylon 5. With the huge popularity of The Walking Dead, it's not surprising that there is an interest once again with Babylon Fields. According to the story, Babylon Fields is getting a second chance, this time at NBC, which has ordered a new pilot of the show. The first time around, the show was from Mike Kuta and Gerald Kuta and Michael Atkins and was about a town of residents coming back from the dead, the story notes. The article continues that the the brothers and the Atkins are back to the original roles as writers and director, and the three will be executive produced for the 20th Century Fox TV show, a pilot order. Now they've inked a two-year deal with the studio. Now he writes, when the pilot comes and when a pilot comes and goes, very few have the staying power of the original Babylon Fields. Clips in the entire pilot surface online soon after it got the pass by CBS, and it has had a bit of a cult following. One of those who helped spread the word about Babylon Fields at that time was then TV. TV Week TV reporter James Hibbard, who in one classic article begins the TV Week story with the line, Zombie Sex on CBS. (laughs) We aren't sure what happened to the video clips that accompanied Hibbard's article at the time, but you can click on on a video or look for a video. uh, Just search 2007 pilot of Babylon Fields. I think this is a little bit of, uh, I don't know, everyone's wearing, everyone's wearing these the grunge shirt, so let's all put them on. I get why they're doing this. I was, I had seen some clips of the show. It would be interesting to see how well The Walking Dead will do would do against a against another show doing a similar type of thing, and maybe to some people's opinions, maybe better, or at least to some of the people that are so familiar with the source material of the comic books. That or the graphic novels that they 
don't like the way that the show, the direction that the show has gone and the alternate universe that the show has created, which I get because I come from Star Trek and, and I don't necessarily like all of the new universe that JJ's created. So, so there you go. So I get it. It will be, it, it will be very interesting to see if this show comes up and ends up actually being brought into production. I believe if this pilot is decent, Nintendo, Nintendo, NBC will, will issue a rush order in the same way that they did for the Michael J. Fox show and just order a season of it. Thinking about the, the ridiculously oversaturated market of the zombie culture right now and there not being any other television show out there but The Walking Dead, there needs to be. From a from a fine, I don't think there needs to be from a from an entertainment standpoint. I, if it's done well, I can see why there needs to be. But if it's another, if it's sort of a carbon copy of what The Walking Dead does in in just a more emotionally dramatic way, you know, like a like Buffy meets The Walking Dead. I know some people out there are like ah, yes. If you're listening to the Couchmasters podcast, you could tell I'm not a big Buffy fan or a Josh Wheaties fan. I don't mind him in the uh, what he did with the Avengers, but I wasn't a huge I wasn't a huge fan of. And yes, I do know his name is Joss Wheaton. So if I want to call him Josh Wheaties, I can call him Josh Goddamn Wheaties. I got a Cookie Monster hat on my head. I can do whatever the frig I want. <laughs> okay, how we doing time here? Cool. Yeah, I'm looking at time. I'm trying to I'm trying to organize my thoughts. I don't want to babble for three, four, five, six, seven, eight hours and have to edit that shit down. You don't want to hear that. I mean, maybe you do. I like going crazy, and I do sometimes. I go crazy. I go nuts. I lose my mind. I can't figure out which way is up. But that's part of the love of life. And speaking of the love of life, over the top. Coming soon to the channel that brought you the most watched drama in basic cable, AMC, is Arm Wrestling. Yes, the basic cable channel that's been chalking up strong rating success, including the most watched drama ever on basic cable, rolled out plans to delve into an area where it hasn't been successful at all, reality television. The channel is AMC, who's walking dead. Uh, currently ranks as the all-time most-watched basic cable drama show. Wow. Now AMC is hoping that it can break through in reality programming with a new series focused on arm wrestling. Now, called it better be called Over the Top. That's all I'm saying. The Los Angeles Times show tracker reports that AMC placed an order for Kings of Arms, not called Over the Top, which grapples with world of competitive arm wrestling. The show will attract members of five arm wrestling clubs based in locations from Baton Rouge, Louisiana to New York City. Each of the program's 10 episodes will end with an arm wrestling match. The reality show comes from Matt Renner and Ethan Procheck, the Emmy Award-winning producers of Discovery Channel's Deadliest Catch. As an added coupe, in sign of confidence in the material, the show will premiere in its first quarter of next year, timed to the second half of The Walking Dead's current season, the story reports. So it's going to get an amazing lead-in from The Walking Dead. You want to beat zombies? I can already see the cover. You want to beat the walkers? You got to train in arm wrestling. And you see the arm wrestling guys, wrestling uh, arm wrestling walkers. We're not afraid of any walkers. <laughs> the report adds, AMC is on a roll these days, having just concluded the much- heralded series Breaking Bad and announcing the two-part season, uh, two-part finale of Mad Men. So you're, not that I'm a big Mad Men fan, so you're taking two of the most well, well-documented and well, well-reported, well-reported, well-reviewed series of all time, mm-hmm. and what you're going to do is you're going to uh, replace it with an arm wrestling well, you know what's going to replace, you know what's going to fill the void of uh, Breaking Bad and Mad Men? Over the top, the television series. Yeah, that's what's going to do it. The piece notes that unlike rivals A&E and History Channel, AMC has not fared particularly well in the reality genre. That's because they haven't had to. That's because they've put on generally good broadcasting content. I mean, whenever I want to think about The Walking Dead, it's not perfect. Mm. It's still 
relatively a quality series if you compare it to some of the stuff going on on the networks. And then with Breaking Bad, enough said. Plenty of podcasts on issuesprogram.com that you can listen to if you want to hear my opinions on Breaking Bad. And then I don't particularly like Mad Men, or I've been bored every time I've tried to start watching it, but I understand there are people out there that enjoy being bored. And all power to you. So, yeah. (laughs) So Over the Top, the TV series, is coming. I can't make this shit up, dude. Dude. Dudes, dudes and dudettes, I can't make this shit up. So I need something to cheer me up. I need some crap to cheer me up. Well, this isn't going to cheer me up, but I'm going to talk about it anyways. (laughs) Feel free to mute for the next 30, 40 seconds if you're not into what I'm about to talk about. Glee. Yeah, I like Glee. Shut up. Glee creator Ryan Murphy, who I also like, loved his series Nip Tuck. One of my favorite series, especially the very first season of Nip Tuck and the first couple. I'd say the last season, what it didn't drop off as much as some shows do, but right after the whole Carver storyline ended, I, I feel like the show was never quite the same. I feel like it peaked a little too early. Well, Glee, Glee and Nip Tuck co-creator Ryan Murphy has made it official. The show will not go on past next season. All you Glee haters, King Baby Duck, looking at you. All you Glee haters, you can be happy to know that Glee is ending after next season. You're going to be very, very happy that that uh, Finn passed away. Now, Glee at the Pally Center event honoring FX Network Wednesday night, Murphy confirmed that season six will be Glee's last. He also revealed that Corey's death has forced him to devise a completely different endgame. The final year of the show, which will be next year, was designed around Rachel and Co- Rachel and Finn's storyline. I always knew, I always knew how it would end. I knew what the last shot was. He was in it. I knew what the last line was. I knew what she said to him. So when a tragedy like this happens, you sort of had to have to pause and figure out what you want to do. So we're figuring that out now. I have a good idea, and I'm going to tell the studio, the network, within a week. How after Corey's unfortunate passing, we can end the show that I think it end the show in a very satisfactory way, in a kind of honor to him, an honor to to the love. Yeah, it's uh, it is it is very very sad. <laughs> uh, be especially being a fan of of Glee and being a fan of his specifically, not as a singer but as a comedic actor. He had a wonderful way of playing stupid so earnestly in a similar way that uh, Jason Segal pulls pulls off a similar thing. And I think maybe uh, Segal is a little bit more in charge of himself, of his body and his 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 device and is a little older and in, in his career. So so he could he does it a little bit better at this point in his life. Obviously, because Corey's dead. Oh, yeah, just dug that hole for myself. <laughs> but I do think he could have done some great things in his future, comedically-wise, and turned around a, a bunch of people that might have had a hatred for Glee. Because, And there's certain sections of shows, especially towards the beginning, where his monologues are some of the funniest things. His line delivery on, on what I don't know if Ryan Murphy wrote or whoever in the Glee staff wrote. And yeah, people say Glee writers are the worst writers on television. They suck. They're horrible. I think they made a decision somewhere along the way after the initial success of the show that they weren't going to give a crap about storylines, and they were just going to try to make every episode as witty and funny and silly as possible. And I think if that what is their goal, it was they were very successful at it, in my mind. But that's just mine. I, I'm not going to try to get you to like something. I don't think it's... I could argue that the first 16 episodes of Glee were really well-made television and could be argued as one of the best... 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 Well, one of my favorite beginnings to a, beginning to a series. But right after the first 16 episodes, Glee was never, ever, ever the same. I mean, we've had glimpses of great episodes, and I've learned to shut off my brain and enjoy it, but those first 16 episodes were about something else. They are about not fitting in, 
and being awkward and trying to find your place. And there was a definite theme about that, about being confused in your life and needing to find that every that everyone has an opportunity to meet meet like like-minded individuals and and in a sense i guess about about being different and knowing it's okay to be different and you can always find magic somewhere in the most awkward places i think that's what the initial show is about but i think soon it became became more about featuring artists, licensing songs, making an enormous amount of money on iTunes downloads and and just a more of a machine. And I think probably Ryan Murphy decided that the last season and how he was going to conclude was probably to continue back into the more of a storyline situation. And because of Finn passing, because of Corey passing, they couldn't do that. And I think you did get some sign of that they still have an ability to write like they used to in the last episode and basically in similar to the way I think this whole season beginning of the season's been written I think as Corey's death is sad and unfortunate especially for the people that knew him and for any fans of his art I think for Glee fans over these between now and the end of next season the end of Glee I think it's going to work to our advantages because I advantage because I really think they're going to try extra hard. Murphy's going to be more of a part of the show where he wasn't last year. I think he's going to put a put all of his emotional effort, and they're all going to, in the sense of in honor of a missing friend, in the in the sense of a sports team going, oh, we got to win it for the Gipper, and I think we might end up getting get more of what we loved about the first 16 episodes in this end run. At least that's what I hope. So you can, you can unmute as I change. I'm going to stop talking about Glee. <laughs> Go from Glee to Breaking Bad. Now, Breaking Bad spinoff, the, the Better Call Saul, you may, and we, we speculated about this. Gotti and I speculated about this on on our on our Breaking Bad podcasts, which can be found on the issuesprogram.com website, <laughs> along with new news stories and all sorts of other information, anything you want to hear about Issues Program. So, so yeah, we talked about this being a possibility, and now it's even now we know it's even more of a possibility. Breaking Bad spinoff, and we talk about uh, Gustavo Frank talking about that, talking about being back on the show as well. So. So you so you just war- wrapped up one of the most critically acclaimed TV dramas of all time, which, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, the star went off in a blaze of uh, glory, and the main character limped off into the darkness. Uh, great job. Now, you, how the hell do you get him back on TV? If you're Breaking Bad creator Vince Gilligan, that's just one of the biggest challenges facing the bad spinoff, Better Call Saul. When coming down from the Breaking Bad finale, Gilligan is finally t- uh, getting into Saul, which started off as a joke, and now he's like, oh, we're actually doing this, so I have to dig into writing this series. Now, it's all- initially it was proposed as a half-an-hour sitcom, and it's been expanded already to a one-hour drama. Now, Gilligan says, we're both one-hour drama guys. And he said of him and his showrunner, Peter Gould, who have ma- abandoned the com- comedy format when they realized they weren't comfortable with jokes per page ratio as a sitcom requires, and that they enjoyed the visual elements of the Breaking Bad universe. So we figured, why not shoot Saul in the same way? Let's shoot in Albuquerque, let's get as much of the crew back together as possible, and let's do it the way we did it before, so it'll be a piece with the pre-existing fundamental universe that we had so much fun creating. A bit gun-shy about the sequels following his work on the failed Xbox X-Files spinoff, The Lonely Gunman, Gilligan is proceeding with caution with Saw, working through the plot and tone with Gould to make sure they get a mix of, of drama and comedy just right. The new series will be set in an office and have a much lighter tone than Breaking Bad, flipping the drama-comedy ratio to 75% funny and 25% serious. We've had the... We've had to find the ongoing itch that Saul needs to scratch, so to speak, or else we wouldn't have much of a show, Gilligan said, of figuring out the dramatic tension in the main character played by Bob Odenkirk. 
who never came off as damaged and needy as Walter White. The best news for bad fans, however, is that AMC has agreed to pick up the show, and for that, here we go, both Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul have expressed interest in making cameos on the show. Now, I have a hard time resisting putting all these guys in for cameo. Uh, <laughs> Gilligan said, personally, I'd have a hard time resisting putting all these guys in a cameo or two every now and then, he said. Tentative plans for Better Call Saul to launch between August and October 2014. Um, yes, yes. Can I get a can I get a hell yeah? Can I can I play a play play a song? I need a whistle. That is awesome. That is fucking awesome. That is awesome. 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 Give me, give me, give me, give me. I need a crowd. Give me the crowd. Give me the crowd cheering that one. That's great news. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, I don't need that. You can stop that. You can stop it now. Hey, hey, stop the stop the damn announcing. Hey, shut up. <laughs> oh, more. Hello, everybody. It's time for my final issue. <laughs> now, uh, after all the badness I've talked about, I need to bring back some happy thoughts. Happy thoughts. Now, right there, that's Michael Bay. <laughs> play, play me the song. Play me the damn song, Captain. Do it. Play it for me. Now, everybody. Earlier today, director Michael Bay was attacked on the streets of Hong Kong where he's filming Transformers 4. According to Reuters and Chinese reports, two brothers both in their late 20s, both surnamed Mac, appeared on set and demanded $100,000, basically. The elder brother then attacked Bay as well as three police officers who tried to stop the assault, but was injured on the right side of his face. But that did not seek treatment, and they didn't think it was injured. And he continued filming. The three officers suffered minor injuries but were treated for a local hospital. It's unclear what prompted the attack. But they went home and they checked the guy's computer and they found lots of Transformer memorabilia from the 80s with a sign, You killed my dream, Michael Bay. Go fuck yourself. Stay the fuck away from Ninja Turtles. <laughs> so yeah. So everybody, thank you for listening to this week's show. I am Phil the Issues Guy. You can check out any of my stuff at issuesprogram.com. Check out the news there in the podcasts for any of my past podcasts. And you can download them there and put them on your mobile device so you can listen to it on the go. You can also check me out on the Couchmasters, the new brand created from my good friend and sometime contributor at the Issues Program, John C. Riley. And I'm also a part of that as, as a talking head in podcasts. And eventually, one versus one will be back. Also, please listen for the end of this podcast because I will be playing a little promo for all my friends at the Land of Esh. As I have to bring that up right now and I'll stall for words. And you can call in 24 hours a day, 7 days a week to the Issues Hotline and tell me what you're thinking and what's on your mind and what issues are bothering you at 781-990-8509. If you've got any games or movies or TV shows or anything you want me to review, you can leave me a message on that. Or you can email me at theissuesguy at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at I Got Issues Man. Um, if you see me on Skype on I Got Issue Man, you can talk to me that way. The Issues Program on Facebook. Fill the Issues Guy on YouTube. I think that's enough pubbing for one week. <laughs> and please, please, as I mentioned before, check out the Couch Masters. I love my good friend John C. Riley, and I hope and I want him to get all the love that you guys give me. Mm-mm-mm. Give him that love, too, because I'm a Couch Master. As well as some weird, strange cookie monster creature on the on the back of a cow's tit. 
also securing some information on on issues program me being press at at uh, PAX East coming out soon. That's gonna be really really exciting. I'll keep you guys posted about that. And I'll be putting out a lot more news articles recently because I can't write, but I just got the Dragon Speech software and it's actually working out for me. So I'm gonna be writing a lot more articles or speaking a lot more articles. Get my shit together. Anyways, guys, have a good week. I'll be back next week with more issues and more silliness. Like I said, mention check out the website under news and check out my Magic 2013 and my Ninja Turtles review that just came out in the last two weeks. Have a good week, guys. Later. to get your nerd on. Kick the week off right with games, gadgets, and general geekery from the ladies of the Electric Sisterhood. On Tuesdays, get your pop culture news and reviews with a pure Bostonian perspective on the Boston Bastard Brigade. Geek Agro is coming at you on Wednesdays to fill what's left of your cerebral cortex with the hottest beats to get you on your feet. Then on Thursdays, you have me, Phil the Issues Guy, presenting the live issues program. It's going down each week, only in the land of Ash. Nerdcore at its finest.